This week's episode of the Cloudcast is brought to you by Intel Cloud for All, driving the creation of thousands of clouds. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast, coming to you live from our massive studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, tonight, we are excited to talk to one of our really all-time favorite guests, and, and by that, uh, Aaron and I both are big fans, but uh, but you guys are, are big fans as well. Uh, so, uh, Mark Imbriaco, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Brian. It's good to be back. And uh, I guess as far as backstories go, uh, you came on, boy, it's probably been almost a year or so now, maybe a little bit longer. Um, and for a very long time, you we were talking about GitHub. You were running operations at GitHub, and and for a very very long time, you were the most popular show we'd ever had. Um, so uh, bad news, you've, you've been overtaken. There was a, there was a show I think, um, and I don't, we're not exactly sure how it happened. Uh, one of our one of our shows had uh, had a guest from Europe, uh, 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 Ivan Pepelnik, and Ivan is a fantastic marketer, and uh, he's he's overtaken you. So <laughs> we'll have to do well tonight and uh, get the numbers back up for you. So how you been, man? It's been uh, it's been a little while. You were at GitHub, but uh, you've you've shifted gears a little bit since then. Yeah, things have uh, things have definitely changed for me. So I left GitHub back. Uh, I think the last time we talked was shortly before I left GitHub. In fact, right. I think I left. Uh, I left about a month after we talked, uh, and I went to DigitalOcean, where I ran technical operations for uh, for almost a year. Uh, so I, the the from the sort of end of the first quarter of last year through the end of the year, uh, I was working at DigitalOcean, uh, helping to build out the SRE team and technical operations, and and just kind of work at an amazing company that's that's scaling and growing like crazy. Um, DigitalOcean is. Uh, for those who don't know, um, a public cloud who's really sort of focused on developer experience and and simplicity, and and they're killing it. Right. Um, but uh, around the end of the year, I also I, I had a, a really good opportunity to t- sort of take a step back and look at a kind of a higher level about the arc of my career and what I wanted to do. And and you know, it's it's kind of an embarrassment of riches situation where you have the ability to to finally take a chance and and do something you've wanted to do for a long time. So I decided to. Uh, Actually, over the holidays, I decided to uh, to, to leave DigitalOcean and start my own company. Very cool. Yeah, so so my good friend Kevin Smith and I, both here in the Durham area, decided to to leave our jobs. We raised some funding and started a company called Operable, where we are working on uh, building some tools to help uh, help ops people like me collaborate to solve problems better together. Nice, nice, and obviously. Uh, we always love, I mean, you're, you're local. We get to run into you at the local, you know, DevOps meetup events and, and other things. But, uh, you know, one of, one of our favorite things is always when we have people that have sort of lived and breathed stuff and then took the things that they learned. And, and in a lot of cases, the, the, the tools they wish they had built or the, the platforms they wish they had built and, and went and turned those into, into commercial offerings. So it's very cool that you're, you're finally doing that. Um, so before we jump into some stuff, because we're not going to talk a lot about Operable, you know, you guys are uh, still a little ways out from from getting things into the marketplace. Uh, we'll, we'll come back and, and dig into that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about just kind of some of the experiences at, at DigitalOcean, not so much to to give away what those guys do, but just give people a sense of, um, you know, in, in the the pace of, of public cloud and the pace of these these big, large scale clouds like What's a what's a week in the life or a month in the life of the SREs look like? And I know you, you were building out some, helping them roll out some new data centers, so it's a little exaggerated. But give folks a sense of what that what that's like. Yeah, it was. Um, it's the pace is just incredible. Um, the company 
the time that I was there for, you know, I guess I was there for nine or 10 months uh, before I decided to do my own thing. We, I think we grew the number of servers that we had by something like two and a half or three X. Um, we moved up the, up the ranks of the Netcraft survey to become the second or third largest hosting provider on earth. Um, at this point, I think they're number two right behind Amazon and we were two or three when I left. So, so the growth, which is phenomenal. Um, a lot of the work we, we were doing was just sort of foundational. It was kind of dealing with and continuing to deal with the scale, right? When you grow that fast, you, you create a lot of problems, um, kind of organizationally kind of, and not organizationally in necessarily a bad way, just strain. When you're growing that quickly, uh, you need to add systems. You need to build systems. You need to uh, you need to get practiced at rolling out data centers faster. You need to right. change the way you do things as you hit different inflection points along the scaling curve. So a lot of the time uh, that I was there, we were really focused on that. Uh, I think um, you know at this point they've they've sort of transitioned past that to an extent and have a lot of. Uh, a lot of the fundamental process around, you know, for example, setting up a new data center. And, and I can't take credit for that. That work was really starting as I was leaving. The team there did a phenomenal job sort of carrying that on. Yeah. Um, those guys have really transitioned into product development and are, are really focused on rolling out new features now. Yeah. No, they're, they're, they're cranking along. And, uh, you know, I think they're probably their one, their one, uh, I don't want to call it a weakness, but their, their one area that they can, they can probably get a lot better at is, is like you said, marketing. If, if people don't know who DigitalOcean is, they, uh, great experience, super easy to get a lot of, uh, very cool technology up and running really easily. So, um, so, you know, you've, you've been, you know, the last time we talked to you, I mean, you've, you've been in a number of places. I mean, you've been at living social, which when that whole coupon craze was going on, you were there, you were, you know, you were at GitHub when it was going like crazy, it's still growing like crazy. Uh, you know, how much, um, when, when those places are, are growing so fast, uh, you know, they, they bring in folks like you, who've got a bunch of experience. Obviously there's a, there's a bunch of other people like, how much do you do you have to go in and and sort of forget what you did in a in a previous job and how much do you sort of have to go okay there's there's a natural sort of progression in terms of like when we put certain aspects of the system in versus you know when we have enough money to do that or i mean is are you starting to see some patterns where you can kind of go hey when there's this much pace of change you're going to do this at this time and this at another time yeah, I think I mean the the value of experience is not becoming less over time, right? The the value of people that have experience that have sort of been there and done that and who have, who have done a lot of things and and seen a lot of environments and and worked through lots of problems. Uh that is a tremendously valuable skill. Um and I was really fortunate to to both have worked at a bunch of places and gained a bunch of that experience myself, but also to have worked with other people that had differing experiences. So, you know, I think the way that all those things come together from a bunch of different people, I think if you, if you sort of push that in, in to the back burner and didn't want to say, well, we did it this way at this other place. Like if you shy away from that, if you, if you neglect to bring forth the experience that you've won, oftentimes through kind of hardship and, and failure and downtime and outages, uh, if you don't bring that, if you don't bring that knowledge in with you, you're really doing a disservice to your organization. So I think it's tremendously valuable. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, you definitely have to recognize that every situation is very, very different. Um, you know, when when you're at a different scale of a company, for example, um, you know, maybe you're maybe you're living social and you're trying to optimize uh, cash flow or, or or you know cost of revenue or or data center spend, or maybe you're GitHub and you're just growing so fast you're trying to keep up and you're willing to spend more money on infrastructure to to stay ahead of the curve and to make things fast. Um, 
every situation is really different and you sort of have to look at it. But if you neglect the, the, the kind of the lessons from the past, you're really kind of letting everybody down. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I know I, I we, we, we've just, you know, little things like you introduced us all to, uh, to Hubot and the stuff that, that you guys had built over there. And, and I know Aaron and I have sort of shared that, that concept with a lot of people. And, and, uh, so it's, it's cool to see when, you can take, uh, you know, even tool regular tools that the web scale guys are doing, and we're starting to see them get used, even in you know sort of smaller operations and stuff. So that stuff is also very cool, and, and obviously it all gets shared out in the public now, which is which is very very cool. Um, so how much is how much has changed? I mean, obviously you're you're now looking at a at a at an opportunity to build some things that that hopefully help people, um, you know, at a you know kind of repeat the you know, put into into commercial software, kind of the experience that, that you have, what's, what's been the biggest changes that, that you've seen over the last say, 18 months, whether it's around operations or, or DevOps or just things that you're like, you know what, um, you know, that, that needs to be commonplace and that needs to be best practice. And I, you know, I need to, to figure out a way to do that better. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, you know, slightly more broadly, I think that one of the biggest things that I've seen over the last 18 months is people, uh, are, are sort of the, the the knowledge around, I guess what folks are calling cloud native applications these days. These this kind of service based architecture, this kind of shared nothing approach. These these smaller units of application uh, infrastructure and code. Uh, the, those ideas are are finally starting to get out there, and the platforms to to empower that kind of uh, architecture are starting to become more prevalent. You know, I was doing this back in two thousand nine, two thousand ten at Heroku. Uh, and the the ideas of platform as a service uh, took a long time, took frankly longer than I expected to sort of start to get to critical mass. But I, I think the the worm has definitely turned there, and we are seeing tremendous adoption of things like Cloud Foundry. Uh, we are seeing huge uptake in things like Kubernetes and Mesos. Um, Amazon has jumped on on board. We've got Docker just completely out of control growth. Um, I think those ideas and sort of the containerized smaller app. Um, Deployment, uh, developer-friendly deployment pipelines—all those things ha- have really started to take hold much more broadly than they were even, you know, eighteen months, two years ago. Uh, and, and I don't see that slowing down at all. Yeah. Now, you—you've never been afraid to be sort of opinionated and, and outwardly opinionated. What's what's your take? You, you know, you—you you, you talked a little about Cloud Foundry. Cloud Foundry is, uh, you know, the, the, a lot of times the term is opinionated. I tend to call it structured, but you know, it's kind of a that uh, you get the entire platform, if you will, and then you've got you know you've got various people that are building uh, variations on Kubernetes plus Docker plus maybe some stuff from HashiCorp or CoreOS or um, what's your what's your take on those two sort of approaches? I mean, is it is it horses for courses? You know, it depends on your organization and what you can do, or do you feel like um, you know one of them has a, a much better chance to survive than the other? You know, I think that market is is plenty big enough that there's there's room for lots of players here. Um, I do think, to an extent, it's it's kind of horses for courses. I think it really depends on on what you're trying to optimize for, on what the shape of your applications look like, on, on what your methodology is, um, and in the case of things like Cloud Foundry, on on sort of what your your organization is ready for, what the the sort of cultural mores are to an extent, right? Because uh, I think opinionated is a is a reasonable word for Cloud Foundry, and it's not a bad thing. I think being opinionated has been a huge success factor for a lot of places. Um, Basecamp, where I was, 
Heroku, 37 Signals, all those places were very opinionated and they weren't afraid to to sort of say, we have this idea about how we think these things ought to work and this is how we're going to build our applications. Uh, I think Cloud Foundry is doing, doing much the same thing. Uh, and, and I think it's going to work for them. I think that having some structure there, having some opinions, um, providing a little bit more predictability and consistency across how things are built and deployed platform-wide gives people in you know operations or other groups within the company a lot a lot more comfort in the solution as a whole, right? When they can they can have some predictability about how things work, they can know what the shape of an application is. Now, things like Mesos, uh, completely different situation to an extent. Mesos is is much more about building your application to uh, as a as a distributed system in a way that uh, is a little more deeply coupled, typically, right? So you've got these parts that communicate in ways that maybe just aren't REST calls. Maybe there's you know, protocol buffers, maybe they need to do coordination, maybe they need some distributed systems primitives and, and consensus and leader election and those sorts of things that, that Mesos can provide. Uh, and Mesos is also really focused on uh, efficiency of hardware and, and physical resources in a way that, that's just not as important to Cloud Foundry. Cloud Foundry is really focused on what's the experience to get this application from development to production in a stable, uh, supportable way as quickly as possible. Uh, so I think there's just there's a lot of difference between the two. I think Kubernetes is interestingly somewhere kind of in the middle between the two. Um, I think it's still Kubernetes is, is nowhere near opinionated like uh, like Cloud Foundry is, and it's also much younger. But uh, I think I think there's room for all of those things. And you know I also think to an extent it depends on the size of the organization and what the what the organization needs. Uh, I think all three of the solutions are bad choices for companies that have you know, a small number of apps where small is probably a, a couple of dozen or less, right? If you have less than 30 apps, you should not be spending your time looking at Mesos, Kubernetes, or, or uh, Cloud Foundry. You should be spending your time making your business work. Right. Uh, you, you don't have those problems at that scale that was what drove those applications and those platforms. Uh, and we see a lot of people run afoul of that where they think, oh, you know, I've got five or six applications. I really need this platform now. And the simple reality is, no, you don't. Uh, and I think we need to we need to see the knowledge and the um, the sort of discipline and understanding about when these solutions are appropriate to apply get filtered out more broadly. Right. Yeah. No. I, I think it, it, it there's a little bit of uh, you know obvious market you know kind of winner take all which which you expect from either kind of a community that's that's uh, you know heavily invested or, or some of the vendors. But yeah. No. I, I think you're right. I think the, the big thing that I hear from from a lot of uh, companies is they're just sort of going like, how, how do I get there? When, when do I start to make changes? What are the, you know, what are the right sort of changes to make versus what are the patterns I shouldn't follow? So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'd love to see, and, and the thing is, I don't know, I don't know where that discussion necessarily happens. I don't know if it happens in, you know, the DevOps events. I don't know if it happens at something like velocity. I don't know if it's going to start, you know, happening in the cloud foundry sort of summits. Um, you know, it, it feels, I don't, you know, I, I wonder, like, do you see, do you see those discussions happening, you know, other than like in the hallways um, where, where, where they're kind of helping people not just talk about which technology to pick or choose, but, you know, when to, when to, you know, like you said, go from, I've got 10 or 20 apps and I really should just only focus on the business to, you know, platform becomes a strategic asset for the business. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that you see different approaches from the different projects. Um, I don't think you're 
to back up, I don't think you're actually seeing the conversation happen at all right now, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Um, but you're also seeing different approaches to to how you market the projects from each of them. Cloud Foundry is a great example of this. This problem doesn't exist as far as I can tell with Cloud Foundry because Cloud Foundry is, excuse me, uh, laser focused on the enterprise where this is a problem for every company they market to. Right. Um, Every company they market to has hundreds or thousands of applications to support in production. Every company they market to has has hordes of developers who need to crank out applications faster and faster, and it's a strategic benefit to the business. So I don't think you see it to the same extent with Cloud Foundry as you might with Mesos and Kubernetes and some of the other uh, trendier, I guess, uh, open source projects. Right. Um, I think Mesos... Yeah, it's interesting. I think you see, you see Mesos... You see a lot of excitement around Mesos and Kubernetes largely from the... Um, sort of aspirational desires of people who see where they came from, right? Twitter, Airbnb, others have widely publicized use of Mesos. Uh, Kubernetes obviously uh, spawned from Google. Um, those are aspirational companies for a lot of technology startups and a lot of, a lot of the uh, people that are doing development at, the, at, at these smaller startups. They see, they see these patterns in use and they go from, um, you know, I need to build these cloud native, uh, smaller applications that are more loosely coupled that, that federate, that, that fit together nicely. They go from that idea, which is good and is generally applicable in almost every case. Um, uh, it's a reasonable architectural pattern at any rate. Uh, they go from that to, oh my God, I need a platform and, oh my God, I really need to make really teeny tiny microservices, uh, even before I have built the service in the first place. In fact, at Operable, we made the same mistake, and I ought to know better. Um, <laughs> we, we went down this path because I know that the ultimate end game for us is going to be service-based. It is going to be lots of coordinated, smaller services. And, I mean, I'm 100% certain that that's where we get. But, you know, even me and, and the team that we have with tons of experience ran afoul of this problem. Uh, fortunately, we were able to see it pretty quickly, but still, the idea that you should start with microservices, that there's a panacea for development, that that uh, monolithic apps are horrible in every case. All of these things are dangerous ideas that uh, you know people need to need to temper their enthusiasm to an extent. Right, right. Um, you know, you obviously are are heavily involved in the in the DevOps community and, and a number of other communities. Um, as you as you talked, I mean, you you've obviously worked at some places that are that are pretty unique. Um, in terms of, you know, how well they've done. So hence you've got a bunch of experience and you've sort of seen how, you know, the, probably the sort of prototypical DevOps looks like, how much do you see it? You know, what, how much do you see other shops run, you know, the, the way that you did that? I mean, do we, do we see still ops as a very sort of segmented section and, and, you know, they're still trying to figure out just how to go fast or are you seeing the, the sort of, uh, uh, I don't know, definition of, you know, of, of DevOps kind of actually out there in practice. Are you seeing it evolving quickly or is it still, you know, lots of learning and lots, lots of cultural change that has to happen? Yeah, I think that there, the answer is that there's still lots of cultural change that needs to happen. Um, I, the ideas of DevOps, uh, the core of DevOps is one of uh, cult, it's it's a focus on culture. It's a focus on collaboration. Uh, it's a focus on communication throughout the the entire application lifecycle, from development through deployment, through production, through learning from failures in production, and feeding back into development. I think the unfortunate truth right now is that uh, to a to a large extent, the the world and the community and uh, and the the you know, operations and development world has 
fixated on the dev half of DevOps to the detriment or to the neglect of the ops side. Uh, We've spent a tremendous amount of time over the last few years focused on how can we more quickly get applications from a developer laptop into production. And we call that ops. Um, To me, that's not really ops. That's still focused on the dev side of DevOps. I don't see much action on the ops side of DevOps in terms of companies, in terms of community, uh, in terms of conversation. Uh, when you think about ops as sort of the day-to-day production operations of an application that has been deployed, I think the the biggest uh, the biggest players that you see that are looking at that side at all are typically monitoring-related companies. But if if you think about the other side of the equation, you know maybe you say, well, there's companies like Chef and Puppet and these configuration management guys who are doing great. And I'd say that's true; they are doing great uh, and they're doing really good work. But it's still, if you ask me focused largely on the dev side and solving the problem of how do we more quickly get this code from developer laptop to production in a consistent, predictable way. Right. Uh, and that's a shame. We need to spend a lot more time focused on uh, on how do we manage these things once we get them into production? How do we live with them? How do we build the systems and processes and tools and culture and collaboration and, and all of these things to make our entire team successful uh, and make our company more successful uh, instead of just focusing on getting code shipped more quickly. And it's really kind of understandable how we ended up here. Uh, as soon as you you sort of go from a bunch of people on the Internet and Twitter talking about DevOps and culture to trying to sell it to the enterprise, you need a, you need a hook. Right. And the hook is we, need, we help you get your code into production faster. Right. Um, well, and, anybody, and, and, and every company that's ever sold to the enterprise, every one of them has gotten really good at going, Here's my demo. Here's how fast I can install something. That's day one. Doesn't that sound awesome? And exactly. Go, yes. And, and like the question I always have for people is I go, that's cool. And maybe day two isn't so bad. What does day 365 look like or day 1006 or something like that? Because that's when the, the, the system gets muckety and, and everyone kind of goes, ugh, yeah, I don't want to, you know, we'll, we'll just figure it out from there. Yeah. So what happens when you go from last year, our team deployed five applications and that was that was great. And suddenly we've got these new tools and these new processes and we deployed 50 applications this year. Um, what does it look like to our team, to our culture, to our company, to our stress levels, for God's sake, when we have 55 applications in production or 500 applications in production? Have we made the fundamental changes to our structure, to the way that we collaborate, to the way that we communicate, to the way that we feedback learning uh, to support that kind of environment? I think the answer almost universally is no. Yeah. Let me let me ask you it's kind of a philosophical question because there there's always a lot of sessions at at various meetups and stuff that talk about burnout and talk about empathy and talk about you know it, it, being an SRE is a hard job, being on pager duty is a hard job and so forth. Um you know, one of the things I always talk about is a lot of companies that have sold to the enterprise have sort of survived because they would go to the enterprise they would say, look, this is what you need to, to run whatever system you want to run, whether you're selling network equipment or you're selling databases or whatever. And and you would go, you know, if you really don't want to worry about not sleeping, you know, about, about getting through Saturday nights and, and not getting called, just buy twice as much, right? <laughs> buy twice as much, buy redundancy, buy this. And 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 even though your your utilization is going to be 10, 15, 20%, you'll sleep at night. And, and we all know operations is most of the cost. It's not so much CapEx. How does like how uh, and, and the enterprise gets away with that because it, that's not their business, right? You know, their, their business is is building tractors or building automobiles or doing pharmaceuticals and and IT is a percentage of that. Like, is there a way uh, to 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 sort of 
deal with this, this sort of stress that goes on when things, you know, when, when IT becomes part of the business? Because I, I, I feel like, you know, salespeople get burned out, but they don't get burned out in the same way that I hear a lot of engineers talk about getting burned out. Yeah, it's brutal. Um, our community has been hit hard uh, in the past year or so. We've had suicides. We've had burnout. We've had people leaving the industry. Um, it's, it is not easy, and the support networks aren't in place to support it. And there's, there's a lot of undiagnosed problems in the field. Uh, and that's not unique to operations, but it is sort of uh, you know, a, kind of a, a, a high-stress environment in a lot of situations. Right. And it doesn't really have to be. Um, Again, I think it really comes back to um, I use the word use the word empathy, and that's really important. Um, I think it's also really important. Collaboration is sort of the the ultimate end game from from empathy, right? Everybody across the board needs to have skin in the game. Everybody needs to understand what impact these changes they're making to policy and procedure and and scale of the production environment and number of applications deployed. You need to understand what the impact of those changes are. Uh, more broadly than, oh boy, we just got this application into production. And I think what's, I mean, the only way we get there is for some people to get hurt uh, in terms of outages, in terms of uh, operations teams quitting in mass, in terms of um, really widely publicized security breaches or or long-term outages or uh, operational missteps. And those things, um, I think those things tend to be self-corrective to an extent. Um, the sad thing is that people do get hurt in the process and people do get burned out and overworked and treated poorly um, and fired when it's not their fault. The Symantec thing is one that infuriates me lately, um, that the, the executives have the gall to say that they had a bad day when they fired a bunch of people who followed the procedures or, or skipped the procedures that they put in place because they had to skip them in order to meet their the demands that the business put on them um, without sort of taking – any looks at the environment that led people to make these decisions. People don't come to work saying, I'm going to do a bad job. Right. People come to work and they work around procedures and process, not because they want to do a bad job, but because they're under some pressure that the organization put on them to deliver in ways that the process doesn't support. And there's not enough focus on that. There's not enough, uh, there's not enough organizational learning happening. There's not enough retrospection about uh, successes and failures. There's plenty of, of finger-pointing and hand-waving and hand-wringing when things go wrong, but there's not enough... Uh, sort of preemptive look before you get to that point. And there's not enough focus on when projects succeed. Why did they succeed? Did we get lucky or did we actually have a plan? Um, I think there, there's just a ton of things that we need to do as an industry that uh, that we're going to get, we're really going to get burned if we're not careful. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, let, let me, let me shift it off of that a little bit and, and, and get back a little bit to, to some of the technology. So, you know, there's always the, there's always the challenge of, you know, go fast and, and, and security comes into play. Security probably should, should always come into play, but security has this funny tendency to sometimes it's top of mind for people. It usually requires a big hack or a big outage or something. And then sometimes it kind of just, you know, people forget about it because it, you know, it's sort of situation normal. Do you think, um, you know, now that we're, we're sort of back in one of these phases where, uh, security found feels like it's, it's top of mind to people, whether it's, a you know, because of Snowden stuff or it's because of a, you know, an overseas hacking or something. Do, do you see security and, and the challenges of security potentially being a, a reason people start to go, Hey, I can use this as a throttle for dealing with sort of the pace of this, because I got to get security, right? Obviously I want to automate it. I want to, I want to, you know, use certain baselines. I mean, do you see that being maybe one of the throttles that helps people say, I don't have to deploy nearly as fast, but I'm going to deploy more secure without, you know, sort of 
not putting my foot on the brake, but I mean, do, do you see any balance in that helping this at all? Um, because security is back top of mind for people, or is that just a fad and it'll go away? Well, I, I don't think security being top of mind is a fad, um, but I also don't think it's going to slow anybody down. Yeah. Um, and I think the reasons for that are, are pretty clear to me. I think that there's a lot of enterprises, rightly so, that are sort of in this existential threat mode where they're concerned that they're being outcompeted by other people. Uh, maybe there's a startup that's sort of disrupting their entire business. Maybe other companies are doing a better job of getting to market with new new product and features. Um, whatever the reasons are, they very widely. Uh, companies can't afford to let their foot up off the throttle, so they have to do both. Yeah. Uh, and they have to figure out smarter ways to approach those security problems. It's in a lot of ways, it's, it's a very similar problem to the situation we face on the ops side, uh, on the security side, in terms of, you know, how it's resourced versus uh, the demands that are put on it. Um, uh, there, a lot of security startups are going to make a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, you know, there's an opportunity everywhere. Exactly. So, let, let me ask you a question. You, you've been in a lot. You've been in a bunch of shops, um, different shops that use different languages, different frameworks. Um, you know, from from an ops perspective or a DevOps perspective, like. Do you, do you find any are, are more friendly or tend to be more successful? I mean, is it, you know, does one language tend to, to translate better into, into success? And, you know, I, I don't want to turn this into a religious thing because that could get, go sideways quickly. But I mean, just, just in terms of what you're seeing, like is, you know, is, is Go looking more, I don't know, more helpful than say Ruby might have or stuff written in Java or, or is there a framework that's, you know, you're like, boy, I wish more people would adopt this. You know what, I think in large part, um, and this is probably going to be an unpopular position, but I think to a large extent it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, I think the percentage difference in your outcome based on your technology choice uh, is probably single digits. And if it's not single digits, uh, it's it's very low. It's in the teens. So choosing one technology over another, the chance that you're going to have a better outcome is is fairly small. Um and when you balance that against maybe the risks you have to take on by adopting something that's newer or something that your team doesn't have expertise in, uh, you know, it just doesn't seem like a winning bet. That said, um, you know, you know, there can be it's very situational, right? If you're it depends on what you're building. You should use the right tool for the job. You shouldn't be afraid of new technologies. But, you know, I, I also think that the reality is if if your team is comfortable in one uh, one technology and and they like that technology and they're good at implementing that technology uh, i don't think you're going to see another technology that's going to make a massive difference in their speed of development these days because i think that the sort of fundamental ideas that have made software development move faster over the past you know decade um, a, a lot of ideas that came out of things like rails and django and the these um, more dynamic frameworks uh, they exist across all the languages these days. There's analogs to the frameworks. There's analogs to those ideas. Um, there's better ideas in some places, and there's there's different ideas and different takes. But the reality is that the the speed at which you can execute development across the sort of almost any technology platform you choose, yeah. and, and again, there's exceptions, but I don't see it as a differentiator in most cases. Okay, so it's yeah, it's it's more about sort of practices and. And process, and, and like you said, collaboration. Then, then maybe it is the a, a specific technology over another one. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's architecture, right? It's yeah. if the people that are designing the architecture for your systems are comfortable in a certain technology and they understand that technology intimately. This sounds like, this sounds like a pretty damn good bet to me uh, yeah. to go with the technology that they know. Yep. So I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up a little bit. We're we're getting uh, to that point where people stop listening, uh, their runs done, or they stop mowing the grass. But sort of one last question, and I and I said we weren't going to talk about operable, um, but but in terms of if you're if you're throwing ideas out there for people to think about, you know, what they do now uh, about, you know, what you're thinking about, what's, I don't know, what, what's some seeds to plant in people's mind that maybe we'll come back to in six months that you'll go, yeah, let's see how those, those little things blossomed. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think that, um, at a really high level, I think we're seeing lots of talk lately about machine learning and about automatic remediation and event-driven remediation and, um, self-healing systems and, and all of these ideas and they're all great and, and they all help reduce the burden um, and they all um, again this is going to be a fairly unpopular comment but uh, they all solve a very uninteresting problem um, they solve the problem of I've built a system that's generating useless alerts and I need a way to handle those useless alerts the way to handle those useless alerts isn't to hook them up to shell scripts that fix the problem automatically. The way to, to solve those problems is more fundamental. Now, do I think that those tools don't have a place? Because that, absolutely not. Those tools are still super important, and they can, they can buy you a lot of leverage, and they can, uh, they can relieve some burden on your team. But I think there needs to be a lot more focus on the human side of our systems, on the collaboration, on the way that we work together, on the way that we take the things that we've discovered as we've been working on problems and, and creating experiences and learn from them and how we feed that knowledge back into the team and to the organization as a whole. So, uh, so that's what we're really focused on. We're really focused on the human side, how we, uh, how we provide tools that don't replace people, but, you know, augment them, help them collaborate together. Um, you know, I mean, I think that's, it's really, that's what it's all about for me. It's about collaboration. It's about building these adaptive human systems. Yeah. No, excellent. Excellent. Very cool. Well, listen, um, you know, you're always out and about, oh, I mean, you know, nowadays your, your head's down, you know, building and so forth, but, but, uh, what's, you know, where, where might you be, where are you going to be around? Um, you know, or what's the best place for people to kind of, uh, you know, potentially reach out to you if they want to learn more about operable or just kind of the stuff that you've, you've got a bunch of experience in. Yeah, so I'm not sure when this episode is going to air, but I'll be in New York at Velocity New York in a couple of weeks. Um, and you can always sort of find me on Twitter. Um, I'm at Mark Embriaco, um, and I'm sure that'll be in the show notes somewhere. You can also uh, you can email me at mark at operable.io, and I'd love to chat with people about these ideas around sort of how we help teams collaborate better together. Very cool. Very cool. And folks, um, you know, we, we do a lot of stuff with the folks at O'Reilly. If you need uh, discount code for uh, for Velocity uh, 20 Cloud, we'll get you 20% off of that. And uh, we'll probably end up doing, uh, if we can put something together, a giveaway for uh, for passes if people uh, are looking for that as well. So very cool. Um, so Mark, uh, we always love having you on the show. We like uh, we love seeing you in person as well, although uh, between the three of us, we're rarely all in the same place at the same time. Um, so thank you for being on as always. Hopefully we'll We'll have you back here when, uh, when, when GA and launch and all that stuff takes place. Um, folks, uh, thanks, as always, for listening. Uh, for Aaron, who uh, him and I will both be out at AWS next week. So if you want to catch up to us, uh, come find us somewhere. Um, thank you much for listening, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll speak to you soon. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 